welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Today, I am really excited, and I think, think I say that every week, but but I am excited this week because Dr. Bryant Marks Sr. is with us this week. He is a person that I heard first in a special that I was watching on television um, about hidden bias. And he is a minister, a researcher, a trainer, award-winning educator, and he has focused his career on diversity, equity, inclusion, and has been doing that for over 18 years. He is a trainer now with the National Training Institute on Race and Equity, but he's also an associate professor and the research director for Morehouse College. Um, He's past White House uh, are a presidential advisor for the White House Initiative on Education, Educational Excellence for African Americans, and a past senior fellow with the Campaign for Black Male Achievement. Dr. Marks, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. You know, it is my pleasure to have you here. And we always start these interviews with a way to delve deeper into you as a dad, to be able to to dive right in and and have you talk about being a father. And what I love to do, and I know you you've got three kids yourself, and they age and, and they range in ages. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have you turn that clock back in time because I know you've got one of your daughters that's in her 30s. So I'm gonna have you turn it way back. I mean, then we'll talk about your younger daughter too. What was that first reaction that you had when you first found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter? Well, it's interesting because it, it, although I gave you the age ranges, I didn't give you some uh, some details that I think some of your listeners can relate to. So my 32-year-old daughter is my daughter by marriage. So I met my wife. We were right around 30 years old or so, living in Chicago. And so when we met and started dating, my oldest daughter, I mean, because, I mean, she calls me dad. I call, I mean, we don't, I mean, she is technically stepdaughter, but, you know, she lived with us. I paid her to go to college. I mean, you know, so it was interesting, the transition of the hybrid family where I was going from not being a parent at all. So I didn't have, she was 16. So I didn't have the first 16 years. And now I'm the, the father of a teenager like that, right? Now, she wasn't living with us at the time, but it's still, we still interacted and it still took some adjustment. So that was interesting because it was a quick learning curve. I'm, I'm a psychologist, so I think that helped just in, in understanding adolescent development. But to be the father of a teenager suddenly, I talked to a lot of other fathers and read and did other things, but you know how this goes, right? I mean, it's like each kid is different. You got your own dynamic. It's different because it's a hybrid. Her biological dad wasn't really in the picture, but I couldn't really step in and fill that void. So but she was a great kid. So it made it easier. And so she was two years away from us. And then she went to college at Spelman College in Atlanta, which is where we live. And so although she lived on campus, she was weekends with us. And that's really where when our, de- our relationship developed. My middle child, 14, so when I found out, like, you know, in terms of pregnancy, the sort of traditional awareness, it was exciting as well because the little girl factor, I never had the little girl factor. And honestly, my dad, I'm, I'm the youngest of three boys. My dad always wanted a girl. And anytime he's around little girls, you could tell he was all excited and everything else. So I was excited for like the both of us to a certain extent, but the little girl dynamic and love and all that. I was really, really looking forward to that because I was around a lot of male energy growing up. 
I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm sure that, you know, with your oldest daughter being, you know, an adult now and your middle daughter, your first biological daughter, that you've had some probably amazing experiences, some experiences that just are forefront in your mind. What would you say has been the most memorable experiences that you've had thus far with your daughters? The older one was was sort of teaching her about life, right? Transitioning to adulthood. And because it makes you reflect on Am I doing the right things as an adult? Do I have the right priorities? Do I have the right work ethic? Am I making the right decisions? Do I have regrets? So the adult conversations with her was interesting because it was reflective. And it made me really think more deeply about some everyday, the routine of life, so to speak. And I was in it heavy enough where I could, I think, impart some pearls of wisdom, but with the acknowledgement that it's, it's a process and I wasn't completely through it yet. Bring her into adulthood was really meaningful. The youngest, it's a purity. When I talk to other fathers of having a little girl, that's hard to describe, right? I come in, I remember to me, the best year of her was four years old. Four years old, best age. I come in, oh, daddy, she loves you. You know how they squeeze you real tight around your neck? And when the arms are small, you can still pick them up. Like that feeling, indescribable. Like there's certain things in life it's just a moment and it's not, you don't got to pay anything for it, right? It's just a human connection. And she was old enough to talk and have conversations, but now so old where she had, you know, attitude and the world has sort of corrupted her. There was a purity that was there that I think was very special. And I always remember that. I remember coming home, the love, the hugs, and that was just a great part of my day. So that phase was good. And then providing guidance on how this young person developed, because you are playing a significant role in the person they become. And that's an awesome responsibility. And so I took it very seriously. But yeah, I, I would say those moments of just quality time, the hugs, the TV, the games, the, the counting, teaching the days of the week, like just the basics. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they get in their teenage years and you start getting, like you said, that attitude and they start to push back a bit more on who they want to be and who they're becoming. It becomes a challenge because I think back to those hugs too. And I've got teenagers myself and you don't get those hugs as much. You know, so when you do get them, you, you cherish them. But I completely understand and, and remember back to those ages where it was just innocence, right? Complete innocence. And, and it's just a complete different place. And it, it's fleeting in, in that regard as well. Now, raising daughters, I've talked to many dads. And many dads look at raising daughters and they say to themselves, they have some fear within themselves about you know, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? How can I be the, the best father that I can be for my daughter? And especially in the world today, as you look at your own experience in being a father to daughters, what would you say has been your biggest fear? That they would be potentially taken advantage of by the world, that they would come across people and dating situations or friendships that might betray them, break their heart, you know, cause. I look at this as a psychologist, as a dad, but you know, our current generation, the ability to cope with adversity is not the same as for us. We had a different type of adversity. And now adversity for them is they post something and don't get enough likes. Like they can fall apart. Like, you know, like it's just a literally, like that's a thing, you know, where they don't feel accepted and included. Nobody looked at my post, nobody gave me comments. And you want them to be strong enough and resilient enough where those things they can just sort of roll off their back, so to speak. So my fear is that they won't develop what my wife and I consider to be the appropriate priorities and the appropriate values that, you know, getting likes, I mean, that's cool, but 
you know, speaking to somebody in person and making a difference and having a connection, that's more important that they'll get influenced and caught up. And so to this, I don't want to generalize too much here, but there's evidence here too, that, you know, this attention sort of seeking thing where you don't want to be seen, you want to be noticed, you want to be liked. And we, we don't want that. We, we want, you know, sort of things that are at the core of, of humanity. But one thing I regret and, and I fear is that, you know, and, and I have to admit, as a researcher, I got this advice very early. And I was talking to other dads and I heard this a couple of times. They said, date your daughter. I said, what do you mean? They said, date your daughter. And so I said, they said, well, have your daddy daughter dates and time and show a model to her, open a door for her. I mean, just do the things that when men come in her life, is a, a model, a set of expectations because she's used to it and not dating, you know, not in a molesting, you know, sort of thing, but dating values of, of modeling behavior of manhood for her because if her father loves her unconditionally and treats her a certain way, then she has a set of expectations than when she goes on to the world. And so I had admittedly not done that to the extent that I think I should. So my fear is that she may, and it's not too late, she's 14. So I'm trying to make up. And I traveled a lot. Like I was going for like a year on the road. And the fear was that I wasn't around enough to sort of plant those expectations of, of how men or males should treat her. But I think we can adjust. <laughs> now you talked about some fears. And I think that you also, as fathers, I think many fathers also find that it's different, right? You said you grew up with brothers, and it, it's a very different experience raising daughters than raising sons. And you have a son as well. So I, you can kind of juxtapose that and look at both of those things. And you've gone through the experience of being a man, a male, and what that means for you versus what it means for your son too. As you look at raising your daughters and, and having daughters yourself, what would you say has been the hardest part for you? in being a father to a daughter? My father is sort of a disciplinarian. And because we were boys and there was male, there was male energy there, I find myself being a bit harder on her because my dad was hard on us. And I don't know that as a little girl, that's what she needs from me. I think my wife being harder on her lands in a different way than me. Because I think both she and I wanted, oh, daddy's little girl. We wanted that sort of label while she was growing up, like four or five, all that. But when she got a bit older, and she had more responsibilities in terms of like doing chores and everything else. And I'm trying to, you know, instill the like work ethic and discipline in her in a way that my dad sort of did. I, I'm, I'm finding that to be a challenge because it's, it's like pushback. And so I think it's affected our relationship a bit where she might feel I'm, I'm a little too critical and I got to watch that. You know, I don't want her to associate, oh, here comes dad, tell me what I did wrong again. So I got to be careful that she doesn't associate with me this judgment and criticism and that is, it is the unconditional love. And that when I give her feedback, it's because I love her. Because this is the, this is the practice field, right? You, you make your mistakes now, and I'm, I'm right, let's tweak this, let's tweak that. You did this, tweak that. So that when she goes out into the world, she has life skills that'll help her be successful. But it can't be so heavy handed that it causes resentment and distance between us. So it's finding that balance uh, with, with the younger one. With the older one, because she was already 16. And by the time we were living together, she was 18, sort of young adult. She had some, a lot of her sort of core life skills and values, not all of them, but so we enhance, but it's also awkward as many dads will know when you have a hybrid situation with family, like how much pressure can you put on a kid? How structured, how much, how heavy handed can you be before it's that, well, you're not my real dad. Like that's always in the background, right? Like how far can I go before it gets, because her resentment can come out like that. My biological daughter, that line is not coming out of her mouth, 
but both of those situations can be challenging. Now, at the beginning today, I talked about the the special that you created for, actually, it was Scripps Network Stations, but stations across the United States talking about hidden bias. It was a really powerful uh, show and definitely had a lot of things that, that I've heard about, you know, in, in education realms, but but made me think in a lot of different ways. And I think it made a lot of people think in a lot of different ways. A lot of people haven't seen that show. And and, and that being said, I, I wanted to have a little bit of conversation with you about hidden bias, because I think that as parents today, we are hearing, there's a lot in the media right now talking about the bias that exists and kind of the struggles that exist within, with between races, within and among and between races. And as parents, I think it's a challenge. It's a challenge for parents that are out there trying to raise their kids and trying to have these meaningful conversations about hidden bias, about bias in general, about racism in the United States, big topics, tough topics heavy topics. And I thought we could have maybe just somewhat of a conversation about things that parents can do to start having these conversations in a meaningful, productive way to start opening the door to having these conversations that will help our kids to be prepared for the society that they're getting into. So maybe to start off, when you talk about hidden bias, can you define that for for myself so that we can kind of set the stage and then we can kind of go from there? Sure. So you think about it just from a psychology perspective. As we exist in life, <laughs> as we live in society, right, we make observations from childhood until now. And we become we come to associate one thing with another. So if a pot on a on a stove and it's boiling, you touch it, it's hot, you touch it, it's hot, you associate touching that pot with pain. Okay. So we can associate one thing with another. Same thing happens with people. We can associate certain traits with certain groups, or certain traits with certain roles. So if I say police officer and you think male doesn't make you sexist, 88% of police officers are men. So in all likelihood, you come across more male officers. Saying about, say, nursing, you think female, same thing, overrepresentation. So we are all overexposed to certain groups and certain traits, certain groups and certain roles. Upon repeated exposure, your mind will lock those associations in for you. You won't even know when it happens. It's an automatic process. But once that happens, the potential for implicit or hidden bias is established. Right. Because if you implicitly associate police with men, example, I train a lot of police officers. I was having a conversation with a female officer during the break of one of our training sessions and had this wonderful conversation. And at the end, I was like, OK, well, thank you, sir. for it. I said, thank you, sir. Literally a woman cop staring me in the face. I still said, sir, my association with police and men was so strong. A woman was staring me in my face. I still said, sir, am I a horrible person? No. But do I associate men with police? Yes. There's only two ingredients for having hidden or implicit bias, living in society and having a brain. If that applies to you and it applies to all of us, we all have implicit bias. And usually those associations can help us, but sometimes we can get it wrong. So when it comes to our children, because it's living in society, having a brain, they're in society and they got brains. It might be small brains, but they have brains and they're taking in the world, information from the world. And they could come to associate certain traits with certain groups. So if I said to a, a four-year-old, and this has been shown. You can just Google doll studies by race in the U.S. Right, or anywhere. And you'll get all these videos where these kids have to choose between a white doll and a black doll. And most American kids, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. Most American kids disproportionately choose the white doll. Why is that? Because they've come to associate more positive traits with the white doll than a black doll. Then are you going to call that three or four-year-old racist at three and four? Or are you going to say that's a reflection of what they've seen in society? Those little people become big people. Right. And over their lifetimes, they still take in some of the same associations. So, yes, whether it's African-Americans, women, the elderly, the obese, we all come to associate certain traits with certain groups. 
where those traits are exaggerated, they're called stereotype, right? An exaggerated association of a group with a trait, but it still can affect you. So in every major facet of American life, we have racial and ethnic disparities, healthcare, education, income, employment, uh, criminal justice. And so how do we explain that? There's really only one or two explanations. If you have two people, a black male and a white male, and again, then their sentences on average are 20 to 30% longer for the black male than the white male for the same crime, either that's implicit or it's explicit. Imagine if that was explicit today. If a judge said, oh, that's a black male, I'm giving more time because he's black. That's your worst case scenario. Your best case, if it's going to happen, is that it's implicit, that they're not consciously saying I'm giving them a longer sentence. It's just they subconsciously associate black males with negative traits because they live in society, got a brain. They've seen it all their life. Criminal, violent, thug, whatever that case is. And we measure that. We know that's what is associated with black males. So for that judge, they may give a differential sentence. Still be a good person, by the way. Good people can have implicit bias because it's not a character issue. It's an exposure issue. If I'm a good person, I'm overexposed to a negative trait in a group. My mind is going to lock it in for me. I, don't, I won't even know when it happens. Okay, so that's what we talk about. When we're talking about raising kids, it's about balance of exposure early on. Two, three, four, five years old. Best thing you can do as a dad, as a parent, balance of exposure. The movies they watch, you know, the characters, you know, black, white, Hispanic, male, female. The books that you read, the main characters, just give them enough variety so that if you say, well, who should be the queen in this person? They say, oh, it could be anybody. It could be somebody who's brown or black or white. That's what you want to hear. But they can say that can be anybody. The president can be anybody. The hero can be anybody. The villain can be anybody because they've seen enough balance. We don't lock in one group is the hero and the other group is the bad person, right? So balance of exposure early on. And then when they're around, we recommend when they're around maybe six, seven, eight, you can say, well, in our country, different people are treated differently. Like if you have different skin tones, like, cause they're going to notice, they're going to notice in school and they're going to know their friends are white and they're black. And so they notice differences. They don't have the historical context, but you can just say, yeah, there's different people in our society. And sometimes everybody's not treated the same because of how they look. So that sort of basic conversation can happen. And you can say, but that's not fair. And that's not right. When they're about 10, 11 years old, then you can start talking about the history stuff, the heavier pieces that provides a bit more, more context. But yeah, so age appropriate, but when they bring it up, don't dismiss it. You know, but the thing is they'll bring it up oh, in pure terms. Oh, that's a, that's a chocolate man. And that's a vanilla woman, right? It's all cute and nice. And, and we like that. It's refreshing, but we have to be careful how we talk about other groups in front of our children, the diversity of friends we have, who we have over to our house and who we do not. They're watching all of that. Very long answer. Sorry about that, but hopefully it was helpful. So those are the best case scenarios, right? You, you start early, you introduce your kids early. Now, you can use me as an example. Let's say we haven't had these conversations. We've kind of just lived life and you know the, the bias is there. The kids are now in their, let's say, early teens or 10, mm-hmm. 11, 12 or, or older. And, you, and mm-hmm. we haven't had those conversations. Not to say that my family hasn't, but, but let's right. say, let's say they haven't. How do you start? How do you start this process to unpack this if mm-hmm. you haven't unpacked it personally, but you're hearing this and saying, right. oh, okay, this makes sense, but how do I own it? And then how do I then now tell my kids or talk to my kids about this and have them start to unpack it for themselves too? What's interesting, and maybe some consider ironic, is that we're living in a time that's rich with current events for these conversations, from George Floyd all the way down. Right, Black Lives Matter mood all the way down. Why does Black Lives Matter? Why is that a thing? And just talk about it. Well, because 
right? So you can use, there's so much happening in our society, January 6th, right? There's so much happening in our society. Just, you're going to say to them, what do you think about that? What do you think about the George Floyd case? What do you think about January 6th? But just ask them what they think, because they're already talking about it. I mean, they, they, they're on social media, a lot of these kids are talking about it. It's, it's already coming up, but it's not curated, right? It's, it's teenagers talking to teenagers, and a lot of them don't have science and good data. Right? So just say, what do you think? Let them lead, let them reflect and say, okay, well, uh, what is your understanding, right? And listen to how I'm phrasing this. What is your understanding, not do you know? What is your understanding of how African-Americans are treated in the history of this country? What's your understanding of, why are they talking about Juneteenth? What's your understanding of Juneteenth? Why is that a thing, right? So using the external can be an easy on-ramp, but if you also can start with yourself, self-disclosure is always good. And, you know, we tell our kids stories about we were kids, oh, and I was your age, uh, okay. So you can have a self-disclosing moment where you can share something about you, but you had to deal with race or gender or some sort of bias on the receiving end usually works a bit better. But that self-disclosure can also be very helpful to open up the conversation and see where it goes. But I mean, for them to be open to diversity is probably what you want, because as they go into college now and in the times they're in, it's going to be to their competitive advantage and personal development advantage for them to be open to difference. I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that for anyone that is apparent today. I mean, you're right. I mean, we are in a situation, in a in a point in history right now where there are, for better or worse, learning moments that are available. And right. I say for better or worse, because I mean, for many of these, it is not for the better, right? But they are opportunities for us to be able to have these conversations, to sit down and to be honest about what it means to you personally as a father, what it means to, and allowing them, I love the words that you're saying, allowing them to reflect back, what, is, what does this mean to you? And not putting the words in their mouth, because I think that it's very easy for us as fathers, for as parents to, to put our own beliefs in there mm-hmm. and not allowing their voices to be heard. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm there, it's important. And then sometimes, you know, they love when they feel they can teach you something. So and they can say, well, I read this, I heard this. And, you know, when we talk, so, you know, let, let them have a teachable moment on, on their end, because it's, it's interesting to see these events through their eyes, because there are future leaders and, and presidents and CEOs and everything else. So this, these, are these, these formative years are very important. Now, if someone is hearing this today and they're saying to themselves, I want to learn more. I want to learn more about how I can have these conversations. I want to learn more about how I can look internally myself in seeing, you know, where I stand. Are there resources out there, other places that you would send them for them to be able to start that journey for themselves or for the journey for their own kids? Sure. So uh, a few different sites. So we have our site, which is www.entire, entire spelled N as a Nancy, T-I-R-E dot training. And we're, we're a national diversity, equity, inclusion training entity, but we have some information there. There's... There's many different areas. Let me see. If we were doing uh, race and race relations in terms of good content, it's a mix. Uh, I, I was so I like the sixteen nineteen project. It's been looked at controversial, but it's still some good information there. National Museum of African American History and Culture. Okay, and then you have different. Uh, and actually, you can probably go to the major civil organizations, La Raza. NAACP, Urban League. So there's civil organizations. They tend to have a lot of resources and links uh, for folks to get information and be active. We are going to be at, it's funny that you mentioned that, we'll work, we're revamping our website behind the scenes and it will be a resource page with books and videos and YouTube clips and TED Talks, full-bodied. We're working on that. So give us about three weeks, folks, 
and that should be up. We like a lot of stuff that PBS is doing nationally. They have a whole, if you go to PBS website and you just put in diversity or put in equity, they have a whole list uh, of different uh, offerings and releases uh, that we think on balance are, are, are good. They don't try to put a whole lot of spin. So there are absolutely resources out there, uh, podcasts, your resources, try to go with folks with an academic background because we tend to lead with the science. So if you read Blind Spot by Banaji and Greenwald, if you read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, if you read Biased by Jennifer Eberhardt, right? Be the Person You Mean to Be by Dolly Chug. So these are all social scientists who wrote about bias for a popular audience, but they lead with the science. So that would be my, my strongest advice in terms of follow-up. And we'll put links in the notes today so that you can find these, these sites as well. And, uh, and I appreciate you sharing that and look forward to seeing all the resources on your website coming up here in the next few weeks. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our Fatherhood Five, where we ask you five more questions to delve okay. even deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? Okay. All right. In one word, what is fatherhood? Love. Now, when was a time that you finally felt that you succeeded in being a father to a daughter? <laughs> when my daughter cleaned the kitchen on her own exactly the way it was supposed to be done after a lot of training and failures. <laughs> it was a process, but yes. Now, now... Talking about, now you've, like I said, like we've been talking about, you have an older daughter, you've got your middle daughter, you've got your son. Right. If I was to talk to your kids today, how would they describe mm -hmm. you as a dad? Provider, because I work a lot. They, that's, they would use that and wanting them to be great. He wants us to be great. He wants us to be great. That's what they would say. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? Oh, my dad, by far. He... It was, it's almost tough for my kids because I had such a great model, right? So my parents are married my entire life, three kids, all in the same household. He had a strong work ethic, worked two to three jobs. He, was, he grew up in Mississippi. He was literally a sharecropper. He picked cotton by hand when he was a kid before moving to New York, uh, where I grew up. And so his work ethic, his consistency, his ability to forgive, he was a bit rigid. He had some, you know, he was a man's man, so to speak, he had some rigid gender roles, but he softened over time. And I saw that. I saw his evolution, his development. So by far, my dad. Now, you've given a lot of different pieces of advice today as we're talking about fatherhood, as we're talking about bias. But what piece of advice would you give to other dads? <sighs> Don't beat yourself up when you get it wrong. Sometimes I, I've said, I've like, there's been moments I'm like, am I failing as a dad? Like when I was on the road for like a year and a half, like I was, our business was blowing up. I was in four to five cities a week flying and everything else. And that's when she was like going from 12 to 13, like a critical time. And then I come home COVID and I'm there now I'm here every day. And I'm like, now I'm the, now I'm judgmental. Well, why are you doing it that way? Let's do it this way. This, I've been gone for a year and a half. Now I'm here for a year and a half. Right. And I'm like, I shouldn't have left. Like I've really felt I, I should not have been gone that much. And it's, it's kind of hard not to be too hard on yourself when, but your kids are not going to be perfect. We weren't perfect, but, uh, for girls, it is different. Like you just, there's this notion of wanting to protect and just equip them to be able to take on the world when you're not there. So don't be too hard on yourself. You're going to get it wrong. Sometimes it's a process. There's no manual to being a father. I mean, outside right. of what we see around us and what we see in our own lives of, of who we've had as role models, 
but not everybody even has role models. So it's it's yeah. challenging. And I, I, I appreciate you saying, you know, to forgive yourself and to be able right. to forgive yourself because that's not always an easy thing to do, but it is so important because of the fact that, as I said, there's no manual and right. we have to figure this out as you go along and having a community behind you, having other you know, role models or other fathers that you can turn to is so important as well. But Dr. Marks, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing this. Uh, we, we could have talked probably for a few more hours easily, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I know you're a very busy man and I appreciate you talking about not only being a father, but also the work that you're doing in Bias and uh, sharing that with us today too. If people want to find out more about you, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, just to the entire website, www.entire.training. But I'm also on social media. So if you go to LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, just uh, Bryant Marks, uh, B-R-Y-A-N-T Marks, or Dr. Bryant Marks, I'll I'll pretty much pop right up. Uh, And on YouTube. So we do have some videos. I just said it earlier. In terms of resources, I did a series called Bias by Us. And it was following George Floyd last year. So it was like maybe four to six videos that are easily consumable. We created for a popular audience. So you can absolutely check them out. And, and I'll, I'll just part by saying that somebody imparted this to me. I heard this recently in terms of raising children. The days are long, but the years are short. And so, and that didn't hit me until I started really thinking about it. But that's what it feels when you're in it, the day, oh, and it flies by. And that, you know, when my daughter, she did my my 14-year-old, and he said, no, you don't have them to, because I said, well, you have them to 18. You don't have them to 18. They said, you have them to their 16. Because once they get that car, <laughs> the dynamic shifts. So really, in terms of them being home, home, and you really having a time, 16. And so I got two years in my mind, <laughs> right, to do some significant things. I mean, of course, you know, it's it, it's phases. But uh, so those two, two, two little nuggets I heard recently that resonated. I love that. I have not heard that before, but it's so true. That time does fly. That time so flies by. And I've said to dads before that you're going to start, I mean, just seeing the milestones, especially when they're young, as they are learning more, you see your own age passing and you don't realize it until you see that happening. I think prior to that, for myself anyways, you know you're getting older, but you don't see right. it happening. And they I mean not not yeah. quickly, right? It's a right. it's a short it's a it's a progression. But as your right. kids are getting older, and you see them doing yeah. more, and then you're realizing, oh my gosh, time is flying, and it's flying by oh, yeah. fast. And you yes, need indeed. to be there, be present be on the floor, do whatever you can to capture those times because I still can't believe I almost have a 17-year-old. Right. And last thing I'll say for real, and I'm not going back on the road at the same rate, not at all. I see the difference in our relationship, so I'm not going back. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for the time. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org.
If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be